Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato for MediaMonarchy.com. We want to obtain information that will help us decide what equipment and procedures will be needed. We've got that story. Plus, Fauci, you're still killing us. But first, World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders revealed this from Technocracy.News. Through its Young Global Leaders program, the World Economic Forum has been instrumental in shaping world order that undermines all democratic principles. For several decades, the program has nurtured compliant leaders acting as WEF agents in governments around the world. Those consequences are far-reaching and devastating for humanity. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names, like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now, the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brazil, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economy right. form. In 1992, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum launched a program initially called Global Leaders of Tomorrow. In 2004, this program was turned into the Forum for Young Global Leaders, which Patrick Wood covers in his book, The Global Coup d'Etat. It's a five-year program of indoctrination into WEF principles and goals. The aim was and is to find suitable future leaders for the emerging globalist society. The program has since in its inception included politicians, business leaders, royalty, journalists, performers, and other cultural influencers who have excelled in their fields but have not yet turned 40 years of age, originally 43, in order to include New World Order Merkel. It has since grown into an extensive global network of dedicated leaders with enormous resources and influence, all working to implement the technocratic plans of the World Economic Forum in their respective nations and fields. The network creates a force for worldwide influence through the combination of the individual skills and resources of its members, a.k.a. nepotism, trust funds, those sorts of things. As Klaus Schwab said in the introductory quote, it's become very successful. Already in its first year, 1992, a number of highly influential candidates were elected. Among 200 selected were global profiles such as the aforementioned Angela Merkel, Tony Blyer, Nicholas Sarkozy, Dr. Bill Gates, U2's Bono, Richard Branson of Virgin, Yorma Alia from Shell Oil, and Barroso, of course, president of the European Commission. The more recent examples of influential young global leaders, it's basically round up the usual suspects, James. There's a little bit of me that was like, oh, I'm excited to see who all these names are. I, I recognize all these names. They're already scumbags on the world stage. The cowering Kiwi, Jacinda Arden from, Prime, from, from New Zealand. Uh, groomed by his teacher and then married her, Emmanuel Macron, president of France, Ida Aachen, MP and former minister of environment for Denmark, of course, author of the infamous article, Welcome to 2030, I owe nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. We charity scamster, Christia Freeland, deputy prime minister and minister of finance for Canada. And of course, family friend to the Huxleys, Leonardo DiCaprio, actor and climate activist. 
you guys wait till he starts making movies based on Huxley's instruction manuals. They've been playing around with it for a decade. Then, of course, Jack Ma, Alibaba, Larry Page from Google, David de Rothschild. He's an adventurer, James, and an environmentalist. Jimmy Whale of Wikipedia, Nicholas Zinstrom of Skype, and, of course, Zuckerberg of Fedbook. They are surely to be trusted since, for example, David Roy Thompson, chairman of the Thompson Reuters Corporation, is an alumni of Global Leaders of Tomorrow, class of 1993. James? You know what, James? I think... There, uh, th- this is sort of a line in the sand. So I get that people have a difficult time understanding the idea of a global conspiracy. How does that work? What is that? You're crazy. I get that that is really mind blowing for people. Certainly the first time they encounter it. But let's let's put this line in the sand. If you know about the World Economic Forum Global Young Young Global Leaders Program and the people that have been involved in it and what it's done and what is accomplished and all of these spokes that go off of the World Economic Forum hub. If you know about that and you still say, oh, conspiracy theory, uh, then I, I don't even want to waste breath talking to you at this point. Um, this is, this is undoubtedly in it, it, just there. You don't even have to scratch the surface of it. This is the transnational clique of would-be elitists, and this is how this type of thing functions. Is it some sort of top-down, here's the person sitting at the table giving everyone their marching orders? No, but so many of these people who get into positions of power and influence in all different parts of the globe have all gone through this same program, and they all know each other. They're all, it's almost like, it's a big club and you ain't in it. This is it, in a nutshell. So, we do not have to go out on limbs to understand this global conspiracy. How could something like this possibly function? This is it. And so, uh, anyway, I know we're preaching to the choir with our audience, but for anyone who knows this information and still refuses to, to understand it, they're, they're putting themselves beyond the pale of actual argument. I was just literally typing the note. As St. Carlin said... History is not happenstance. It is conspiratorial, carefully planned by people in power. I play that clip on my radio stream all the time. And there it is. Our second story on this New World Next Week, episode 475. Kind of a big one. Two weeks to flatten the curve becomes better get tested for AIDS. It has been slowly building in the background what kind of feels like maybe for a couple of years. But as I was putting these notes together, it's more like the last decade Let's do a slightly esoteric deep dive. The girl who was cured of HIV, August 7th, 2013. In slightly underreported news, doctors are saying that HIV can be functionally cured with early enough detection. In early 2013, doctors announced that a two-year-old child had been cured of the deadly infection. Let's jump ahead several years to Forbes, March 5th, 2019. Third HIV patient appears to have been cured of AIDS, but it's complicated. New York Times, the London patient, because a lot of the times these folks were anonymous and they were referred to as the London patient and the Berlin patient. The London patient, cured of HIV, reveals his identity, March 9th, 2020. Then we get fully into the COVID era. And of course, I still see the pictures from the 80s of AIDS protesters with Reagan on their placard saying, Fauci, you're killing us. Forbes, again, researchers warn some COVID-19 vaccines 
could increase risk of HIV infection, October 20th, 2020. Then we go back to December 2021. Vaccine acquired immune deficiency syndrome, VADES. We should anticipate seeing this immune erosion more widely. That's from the Lancet study. A Lancet study comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated people in Sweden conducted among 1.6 million individuals over nine months. It showed that protection against symptomatic COVID-19 declined with time, such that by six months, some of the more vulnerable vaccinated groups were at greater risk than their unvaccinated peers. Cause of vaccine-induced VADES on the rise due to mass COVID vaccination. And now just from just from the last week and a half alone, just from nearly February alone, researchers discover HIV variant that's more contagious, more severe circulating in the Netherlands. A new HIV vaccine is in phase one trials, but scientists aren't holding their breath just yet. This from Salon. Years of false starts have made hopeful researchers wary of claims that an HIV vaccine is finally here. And in a local newspaper, the Columbia Missourian.com, free at home HIV tests available to the public. They make it sound like it's just for Black History Month, though. Wonder when they'll host Event 202 for a totally fictional HIV outbreak. Hat tip to Media Monarchy member Leafs 49ers for that line and for some of these stories, and also Media Monarchy member Star for helping me source some of these deep dive links. Professor Luc Montagnier, Nobel Prize recipient for the discovery of HIV and believer that HIV exists in the spike protein of the vaccines, has died. He was supposed to testify, as it were, at the Fulmich hearings, the Corona Vice folks. Aside from the possible hopium that those hearings are, you know, the court of public opinion that has no legal bearing, that science, who actually died pretty prestigious and very known as being against the vax, he was planning to try and prove that the vax causes antibody-dependent enhancement. And maybe this is weird. Is it similar to the PCR test inventor dying right before all this started? Luke Montagnier was pretty darn old, though. Meanwhile, Disney, ABC News 7 reports Governor Newsom and Mayor Garcetti criticized after being spotted not wearing face masks at L.A. Rams 49ers game despite California mask mandate. And that's what most of the headlines in the article say. They were caught. They were spotted. They weren't spotted. They're rubbing it in our faces. They're openly touting and flouting all of this. Again, rules for thee, but not for thee. But really, as we get more esoteric, it's the guy that was hanging out with him, James, that caught my attention. Magic Johnson hanging out at SoFi Stadium today. That's Magic Johnson and Johnson. The only guy to originally magically beat AIDS back in the spotlight, just as we're getting these weird vaccine-acquired immunodeficiency syndromes, which are in the spotlight for seemingly the, the first time. You can look up the term VADES. You can look up the term COVADES, COVID vaccine-acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Let's go to Reuters. South African scientists will study link between COVID variants and untreated HIV and our buddy Ryan at The Last American Vagabond, the last couple episodes, have a whole rack of stories. COVID vaccine HIV connection and the four HIV inserts. HIV what? It decided to mutate, James, into some super strain after 40 years? Or are they pushing HIV testing to assess what is really vaccination damage? On and on again. Forbes, newly discovered HIV variant can cause patients to develop AIDS twice as fast. Toronto Star, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney apologizes for comparing unvaccinated people to AIDS patients. 
And that takes us back to Fauci, who was duplicitous on the AIDS epidemic as well. Found the clip recently, James, played it on the show. Fauci in the 1980s saying kids can get AIDS by being close to someone who has it. The whole proximity theory. We freak out now and isolate people because we don't know what's going on. You'll get the coup from a toilet seat. I think about this a lot, James. Back in like 1988, 89, I was in the fifth grade. I had a teacher reprimand me for giving a wet willy. Not just because I'm class clown and those are super gross, but you could get or give AIDS to somebody and not even know what the teacher told me. And that was a real early realization that maybe adults aren't always super SMRT. James, I know this isn't one story and you were kind of scrolling and scrolling and scrolling at my deep dive. It's not easy to just one story, turn it over and you comment on it. This is a little more esoteric, which of course I dig. Like I said, I'm not the teacher. I'm the class clown. I think I can spot patterns and see what's really popping before it's maybe been ID'd uh, openly in the public, but maybe not as good as I'd like to be at kind of putting it together in a curriculum. I used to say in some ways I was a data miner for a lot of the other folks in alternative media like you and like Richard Grove and others. It's like, man, I'll find some of the stuff, but I'm going to hand it off to you to maybe explain it to me some. What do you think? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's pattern recognition. You are recognizing the pattern that clearly exists between the HIV AIDS scare of the 80s and the SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 scare of the 20s. And some of those parallels are not just sort of coincidental or tangential. They're actual historical figures who are the same figures that we were dealing with 40 years ago. So, for example, as you point out, Anthony Fauci, who was the 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 key person in that whole HIV AIDS scare of the 80s, uh, was obviously is front and center again in the 20s. Isn't that interesting? And as people who have read, for example, The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., you will know the deep history of that and the very real connections. Um, in fact, it's almost like it's a playbook that's being used again, where back in the 80s, it was AZT that was clearly contributing to the poor health outcomes of a lot of these AIDS patients. Well, now we have remdesivir that is clearly contributing to the negative outcomes of some of these uh, COVID-19 patients. Um, there are lots of other parallels. I mean, you mentioned Kerry Mullis, the inventor of the PCR test, who not only said Fauci didn't know what he was talking about and he would debate him anytime, anywhere, he's an idiot. Um, he also said the HIV AIDS hypothesis is one hell of a mistake. Um, you have people like Dr. Peter Duesberg and others um, pursuing that line of inquiry, which, again, I talked about with um, with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, there was that initial post that you will remember, um, that, that scientific article that was forwarded and then retracted saying that uh, part of the spike protein insert was clearly an HIV-related insert into SARS-CoV-2, which regardless of what you think about that research, at any rate, we sure that was certainly put out there in the public consciousness at that time in early 2020, as all, I, anyone following independent media undoubtedly saw that story when it was coming through. There's a lot of stories like this. And the one that really concerns me is the vaccine acquired immunity, immune deficiency syndrome, VADES, because it certainly strikes me that wouldn't it be extremely convenient to cover up VADES, whatever, you know, whatever bioweapon they're injecting into people and the long-term effects of that with, oh, it was, it's long COVID, which itself is not a scientifically medically proven concept by any means, um, it, but it's a convenient cover for whatever might be going on in this 
uncontrolled experiment uh, of the let's inject everyone in the world with this uh, medical experimental device. So yes, there's clear all sorts of relations and links and some that have been, I think, seeded in the public consciousness over the past couple of years. You're picking up on that and there's tons of threads to explore here. So yeah, I hope people out there will continue picking up those threads. And as you say, we're throwing data out there so that people can Mm -hmm. put the pieces together. And yeah, I've been I've been glued to the last American Vagabond. His last couple of daily wrap up episodes have been real deep dives into not just this, but of course, like you say, all the other spokes that connect and, and fly out. Our third and final story on this New World Next Week episode 475, six swimming robots will check melted fuel at Fukushima plant. James, it's like we're staying in the in the Wayback Machine on this episode. More than a decade after the Fukushima nuclear accident, officials of Tokyo Electric Power Corporation, the plant operator, TEPCO, still have no idea about the condition of the melted nuclear fuel in the number one reactor. They hope to get a clearer picture through a study that began back on January 12th, utilizing six submersible robots of what has to be dealt with and the sediment in trying to remove the highly radioactive material. By learning about the details of the sediment, we want to obtain information that will help us decide what equipment and procedures will be needed to remove the melted fuel, a TEPCO official said. The robots, jointly developed by Hitachi General Electric Nuclear Energy Limited, which I didn't know was a thing, and of course the International Research Institute for Nuclear Decommissioning, IRID, the melting of the nuclear fuel in the number one reactor at the Fukushima number one nuclear plant was the most severe of the three reactors where meltdowns occurred following the 2011 Great East Japan earthquake and tsunami. Much of the so-called nuclear debris is believed to have melted through the bottom of the pressure vessel and has likely accumulated in the basement of the reactor building. The six submersible robots will have different functions and be deployed in designated order to photograph and measure the depth of the sediment and to determine if the melted fuel lies under it. The first robot will install four rings on the interior wall of the containment vessel using magnets. Subsequent robots will navigate through those rings to avoid entangling the trailing cables transmitting the electricity and signals. The robots have been dubbed Iridolphin. I suppose they might pronounce that James I-R-I-D from, of course, the International Research Institute for Nuclear Decommissioning. Iridolphin, because they will swim through the rings much like dolphins during shows at aquariums. The study will continue up until August. The most progress in confirming the debris has occurred in the number two reactor and calls for removing small amounts from the containment vessel before the year end. James, there's some there's some weird wonky sentence structure in there. I had to keep kind of going back. It's like, is it me? or uh, There might be some, I believe, as you would call it, English in there. But this is another great reminder, like we were just talking about that maybe our godlike practitioners in the cult of scientism half the time don't seem to know or maybe don't seem to care about the consequences. I guess consequences are for the little people, right, James? Exactly right. But ka-ching, ka-ching, there's lots of money to be made in all of this. Um, I mean, you you mentioned there the International Research Institute for Nuclear Decommissioning, which sounds like some sort of august international body. But you start digging into it and you start finding that it's 
a conglomeration, a fascist conglomeration of uh, of Japanese government and Japanese industry and tech companies that is getting funding at least partially through the Nuclear Damage Compensation and Decommissioning F- Facilitation Corporation, which was the fancy um, legalese body that was set up by the Japanese government, which whereby uh, they're funding a lot of this through issuing government bonds. So ultimately, the Japanese gov- people are on the hook for all of this largesse that goes towards funding industry to come up with these swimming robots. And don't worry, they'll give them cute little names like Iridolphin, so you won't think too hard about what is actually happening here, like the fact that there are still 900 tons of melted nuclear fuel inside the plant's three reactors that have not been touched, have not been removed. Of course not. Now, they might start removing some of the uh, uh, melted fuel from reactor two this later this year, or at least they say. But as they go on to say, uh, the daunting task of removing the fuel from unit one, the most badly damaged with 280 tons of melted nuclear fuel is likely to take 30 to 40 years Although some critics say that's overly optimistic. So yeah, if this story sounds like it's from 2012 or something, yeah, it's because we're in the exact same spot that we've been for the last 11 years now. Um, Nothing has changed fundamentally about the fundamental situation. The nuclear, the, the melted nuclear fuel is still sitting there. They still can't get anywhere near it. The last robot they sent in five years ago couldn't even actually get any footage of the actual fuel because it was all covered in sand or something. We can't tell what that is. And uh, all the robots that they send in there are, are meltdown very quickly. So, so yeah, it's ongoing. And this is another one of those hub issues from which all sorts of different spokes fly off. So, for example, also floating through the news wires here in Japan, Taiwan eases nuclear accident food import ban from Japan. Because in the immediate wake of Fukushima, um, the Taiwanese government imposed some food import bans on product sourcing from around the Fukushima area because some of those products were found to contain radioactive substances. Can you believe it? Well, now they're re- they're going to readjust and, and rethink some of those bans. Why? Because they want to be included in the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, which you might remember as the TPP from several years ago. Remember how Trump took the U.S. out of the TPP, so it was it wasn't ever officially ratified. Well, guess what? They've resurrected it. Um, the CPTPP is up and going and doesn't include the United States, but it's still going. And it involves what does that involve? It involves states like Taiwan being like, "Hey, Taiwan, if you want to get involved in this trade deal, you can't have, you can't possibly regulate your own food." No, 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 no. We're going to tell you what food you will allow into your country. So that's how that rolls. And here's another one, uh, a very related story. The International Atomic Energy Agency uh, is going to send a group of experts next week. So living up to our New World Next Week epithet. Um, next week, we'll be visiting the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant to review Japan's plan to discharge treated radioactive water into the sea. As I'm sure everyone is aware, they've been um, flowing the uh, groundwater through, um, uh, the groundwater is flowing through the site and getting radiated. So they're storing that and they've been storing it on site for the last 11 years. And now they're like, well, we've treated this radioactive water. So there's only tritium left and that's not really that bad. So we're just going to dump it out into the sea 
uh, starting in 2023, I believe. Uh, I believe that's when it's scheduled to start, in the spring of 2023. So uh, the IAEA is coming to give their big thumbs up to this, or at any rate, give some sort of uh, imprimatur of legitimacy to what's going on, despite protests not only from China and Korea, and, you know, of course, they're going to complain, but, oh, how about local fishermen who are like, please don't do this, please don't kill all the fish in our area. Don't worry, it's perfectly safe. Nothing will happen. Anyway, so that's ongoing. It's all still ongoing. It's just that it's all been sort of brushed to the side for the past decade. Actual environmental chaos. Hanford, nukes, leaking, ruining the Columbia River up in Oregon and Washington. They're like, ah, the air's safe to breathe, no big deal. If that sounds familiar, they tell us to freak out about something that doesn't seem to be that big, and of course gaslight us about things that are literally killing us and all life on this planet. Hey, that's uh, New World Next Week, episode 475. To uh, wrap this baby up, of course, I'll remind you about newworldnextweek.com. We launched the store last September. All of the current four Corporate Report DVDs are all in stock. That's Century of Enslavement. That's the brand new one, James. It just hit me. We should, Because, of course, media places get sent promo copies of things. We should send a copy or multiple copies of Century of Enslavement to Chris, what's his name, on MSNBC. <laughs> he, yeah, he's such yeah. a fan of the documentary, he could maybe help promote the New World Next Week store. <laughs> we, of course, have the P.O. Box, my American P.O. Box for folks that don't do the digital money thing, but I, I got to, James, I got to do this sidebar and remind people, you still actually have a website and PayPal and crypto. Folks don't have to do everything for government through my P.O. Box or the store, James. It's not uncommon. Somebody will sign up and be like, hey, can you give half of this to Corbett? I guess, now that you've already forced us into the position. <laughs> Again, we're inventing a bit of this as we go along. No, we've not run stores before. I got tons of email about my shirts the last couple of weeks. LD Lawrence, awesome media monarchy member that actually helps produce the aforementioned Richard Grove's Grand Theft World. LD has the Control Group shirts. These shirts at freedomunitedrevolt.com. James, this is apparently the men's shirt. I was rocking the ladies' one last week. That's because I am svelte, baby. The F-off Pfizer shirt, however, that actually got even more emails I think it's a one-off. Somebody sent it to me. Caroline in Ireland. We've tried to reach out to her and be like, your shirts are a hit. You could be selling them. So instead, I'll just link people up a JPEG of the F-Off Pfizer parody logo so they can just print it out and do whatever they want with it. I believe that is New World Next Week, episode 475, buddy. All right, that's going to do it. I'm looking forward to it again next week. James, take care. Thanks, buddy.